Uh, thank you. Uh, it's really good to be with all of you this morning. Um, I, don't, I don't know if Craig knew what he was getting into when he asked me to fill in. Um, it's been a while. I have not uh, taught in about a year. I used to do this pretty regularly. For those of you who don't know, I, I pastored here in Orange for about 10 years uh, with Rock Harbor. We had a campus um, at the high school and then with Saltworks. Um, and then last summer, almost a year ago, we um, just turned our lives upside down. We moved to a place called Fallbrook. And uh, my wife and I, we started a, um, it's a, it's a farm school. And so we've got kids that come to our property and we do farm things. And so my job description changed a little bit. Uh, my, I went from being pastor to uh, kind of stay-at-home dad, uh, janitor, chicken wrangler, uh, and cook. Um, and it has been great. Yeah, exactly. A lot of hats. Uh, and, it's, and, and since transitioning, I mean, this last year, I've had folks from all over, pastor friends down in San Diego and folks outside of Orange County who've asked uh, anxiously about, you know, the, the church and, and salt works and what happened to the people and are they going to church? And I always kind of just chuckled at the question because after working in Orange for so many years, uh, I knew there was just no shortage of good, faithful churches. <laughs> Uh, and this last year, I've just heard such good things about this community, and I've been so thankful for Craig and all of you um, for really welcoming our folks. Um, so really, thank you. Thank you. So um, we're going to talk through Psalm 46 this morning, but before we do, uh, just join me in, in praying. Father, we, uh, we just offer ourselves to you this morning. We confess that uh, we have all walked in with a whole host of things, burdens and excitements and hopes and fears, and we just turn our attention to your presence, and we recognize that um, you are smiling at us, <laughs> you are eager to sit with us, you are eager to teach us, and to pull us back into your rhythms of rest and life, and remind us in deep ways that your gospel is still good news. And so would you settle our souls this morning and would we hear, uh, would, would we just hear your son through your spirit speak to us? Amen. So I, um, Craig said, hey, pick whatever psalm you want, um, which, you know, is, I, for whatever reason, I, you know, I spent a while kind of flipping through and there's so much there, but I gravitated towards Psalm 46 um, and there's a line that comes at the very end, and, and, and it's probably very familiar to, to those of us that have been around church for a while. It's that line, be still and know that I am God. And this is um, one of those, you know, very memorable lines from Scripture that is, um, it's, it's familiar, but also, I think, uh, a bit misunderstood. Uh, back in college, I, um, I used to work at my wife's parents' Christian bookstore. Uh, bookstores, you remember those. Um, 
And, and I'm sure this line was printed on all kinds of coffee cups and decorative signs that you'd put in your, put in your kitchen. Um, and if you were really a Christian, you'd have this printed on a t-shirt or a bag or something. And maybe some of you are, you know, have this yourself. No, no offense. I mean, my wife has a shirt, I'm pretty sure, that says this. Uh, but I think, like, taken by itself, this line, I think it encourages us to think that it's saying something like, hey, go find a peaceful and serene environment that is chaos-free. And I think for me, like, I, you know, in my life, it, it's like, I don't know, that 30 minutes before the kids wake up and I'm drinking my coffee and it's just quiet. Um, and then the kids wake up and, you know, there's more chaos. Um, and the interesting thing about this psalm is that it's inviting us um, is that this invitation to be still, um, it is not describing kind of peaceful, chaos-free moments. No, this psalm is inviting us to be still in the middle of all of the noise and the chaos and the fear that comes with living very human lives in a complicated, sinful world. And I know that, like, being still amidst chaos, it seems really unrealistic um, and unreasonable. Um, stillness amidst chaos, it only makes sense really if the Christian story is true. You know, if the creator God showed up in the person of Jesus to conquer sin and death and to set us free to be people who, who can actually trust God with our lives, then we actually can have stillness in our life. We can be sturdy and resilient people whose Trust in God is actually stronger than our fear, stronger than whatever suffering or troubles that we experience. And so being Jesus' disciple, like, it, it gives us the real resources to do this. And, and I found over the years that this psalm is particularly helpful in orienting us the right way. And there's, if you notice in the psalm, there's about three sections. Each section, it follows a very similar pattern of focusing on God's presence amidst chaos. And so, in that first section, listen to Psalm, uh, the verse 1. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. So, God is, he's refuge, he's our strength in the middle of trouble, in the middle of chaos. He's not giving us some kind of uh, cosmic eject button that takes us out of suffering. Uh, and then it goes on, therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. And if you're like me, uh, in moments of internal or external chaos, I don't kind of instinctually experience God as my refuge and strength. In fact, what's revealed in these moments kind of are all these petty idols that I rely on to, like, make myself feel okay about life, you know? And, and so, in times of trouble, whether it's, you know, trouble, you know, we've lived through a pandemic, it is continuing, we have, you know, I don't know, many of us experience family division, health issues, you know, when these things come up, they feel so chaotic, and they reveal all these other things that we, we rely on to feel safe and secure, you know? And these idols, they, they promise easy escape, easy fixes to our discomfort. You know, it's our bank account, our stock portfolio, our comfort, our safety, our freedom to do what we want. But regardless of what we run to, 
we're told here that it's God's presence. And that's it. There's no easy fix. There's no easy solution. It is simply God's presence that gives us a stable, restful way in the midst of chaos. And at the end of verse 3, there's this little word, uh, selah, that functions as a pause in the psalm. Commentators, you know, they, they go back and forth about what it means, but it might be used to tell the reader to pause in silence, which is interesting. Later in the psalm, we hear this invitation to be still, but this word selah, it occurs three times. And so built into this prayer is a practice of silence or stillness. In the middle section of the psalm, it continues uh, the same pattern of describing God's presence amidst lots of chaos. It says, there is a river, this is verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. And this, this image of a river, uh, this echoes two directions, the garden in Genesis and God's final restoration in Revelation. And there is a city of God on earth, a place where God lives with his people. And in the Old Testament, this would be the Israelite people. Now it's the church who live with the river of God's presence flowing through her. And so amidst kind of like all of the raging ocean imagery, we're told there is yet a river of God's presence on earth. And then we hear in uh, verse 6, nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And then we hear that word selah, silence. And then in verse 8, the psalm shifts its focus to talk, to talk directly to God's people. And we're, we're kind of being invited to respond to God's presence amidst chaos, amidst the, the global chaos that's already been described, the mountains falling into the sea, the nations are in turmoil. And in verse 8, it says, come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. And that word uh, desolation is used frequently in contexts where God's judgment is being poured out. And it's an interesting kind of phrase that might be a little dif difficult for us as modern Westerners to understand. I mean, why is God seeing, why is seeing like God's des desolation and his judgment an encouragement in the midst of chaos? And I think what's helpful to remember is that before the Psalms became the prayer book for the church, it was the prayer book for the Israelites, who for most of their existence were a minority and oppressed people. Israel has moments of, you know, power and political sovereignty, but for mostly the Israelites are people practicing their faith on the fringe as outsiders. And Karl Barth, you know, he's a famous theologian, he was once asked why he believed in God, and his simple answer was, well, the existence of the Jewish people. You know, his point was that the Jewish people have always been threatened and so when you live on the fringe, when you live under the oppression of an empire, you long for God's justice and his judgment. And so I think the psalmist is reminding an oppressed Jewish people living in exile under the thumb of a foreign regime that God's judgment is stronger than the chaos that they are living under. And then we keep going and we see that God's judgment is a force that is doing something different 
The desolation of God, the judgment of God, makes wars cease. In verse 9, to the ends of the earth, he breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. God's judgment doesn't continue the cycle of violence and destruction. God's judgment, it ends this cycle. And then God speaks directly to us, his people. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And that word to be still, this is a, a, a Hebrew word that, uh, that means to, to relax, to drop your hands, kind of stop activity. And this is like so counterintuitive because I think when we experience chaos or stress, our instinct is just to do something. Two months ago, we were, uh, went to a Padres game, came home, it was midnight, and uh, we walked into the sound of just rushing water, and there was this broken water line in one of our bathrooms that had been, you know, going for the better part of six hours. Um, and, and so we had, like, water flowing out of our back bedroom, down our hill, into our backyard, and, and like, my response, right, this has been going for hours, but I just immediately jump in and just try and fix the leak as quickly as I can, as if turning the water off after six hours is really going to help the situation. Um, but, but like, that's just the instinct. It's like, we have to, like, stop this. When in reality, I mean, the damage had been done. I mean, everything has to be gutted and ripped out. And so I think, like, when we feel unstable, we tend to frantically find ways to recover safety, recover what feels normal. We become hurried people, driven by, you know, this primal instinct to survive. Our instinct just is not to be still and know God when we encounter chaos. Our instinct is just to get busy protecting ourselves, to, to get busy acquiring all of the information that we need to keep ourselves safe. So let me, let me give some more examples to jog our imagination here. You know, if we have some kind of bodily pain in the era of smartphones and Google, what do we do? We just Google it. And we look for, for information only to find out that we, you know, are going to die at any moment. Um, you know, we're, those of us that are raising kids or have raised kids, this comes with its share of trouble and chaos. And our instincts, like, they're not sleeping. I need something that is just going to fix this as soon as possible. You know, and so you're just frantically searching for a solution. You know, or I was thinking about this week, um, we watch the news and we have another tragic shooting. We, we consume media trying to make sense and explain something so terrible. You know, or you think, I was thinking back through this last couple of years and, you know, of, of kind of cultural upheaval. And the way I've watched this cultural conversation, the, the, the heat and the division of it, I've just watched people kind of jump down this rabbit hole of like trying to consume information and trying to just, they feel so unstable that they're trying to kind of acquire all the information they can just to, to be the kind of person that's in the know. And, and, that, and you can tell that what's driving it is just, yeah, we don't feel as secure 
as we used to. And the point is, is that just part of being human in a sinful world is to live with insecurity, fear, and threats. And the sinful muscle memory that we have is to cope with this insecurity and threats by being all-knowing gods ourselves. I mean, think about it. The drive to kind of know everything, the drive to protect ourselves in response to chaos, it has its roots in a desire to have godlike control. No other generation in history has the kind of access to good information that we have, whether it's medical information or, you know, knowledge about plants or knowledge about scripture even. And this is not a bad thing, but the easy access to information doesn't form us to be people who know how to be still and know God. It forms us to be people who think we can be in control if we just acquire all the right information, the right strategies, the right formulas. And as I was, I was preparing this this week, I, for whatever reason, my grandparents came to mind. And I, I, had, I had wonderful grandparents. They were, they were very involved. And I was thinking, like, when I, when I think about my memory of them, they just seem very settled and, and kind of at home in the world. <laughs> um, they did not have smartphones. But I'm like, I go, man, there is something interesting that like my generation um, is losing, this ability, this muscle uh, to be settled. And I think the access to information has, has, you know, has a part to play in how unsettled we feel. And so, from one angle, when God tells us to be still, he's correcting us. He's, he's reminding us, you're not God. But I think it's important to remember, like, and, and hear God's disposition when he tells us to be still. I don't think it's a harsh, you know, be still and just stop it kind of uh, voice. I think there's a gentleness to it. I was thinking about uh, Silas and Junior, my kids, um, and sometimes, you know, when they're experiencing their own internal chaos, um, they have big emotions that they can't always explain. Both of them will sometimes say, like, I just, I just want to be alone, and, and they'll frantically, you know, run to the other side of the room, to a different room. They'll hide their face from me or Mindy, and as parents, like, in that moment, all we want to do is just be with them in the middle of their chaos. You know, I, I think sometimes we've gotten the habit of like, as they're trying to isolate, we kind of like, we'll grab them and like give them a hug, you know, and say, hey, 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 come back. Like, we're right here. It's okay. And so I think like when, when God tells us to be still, he's not annoyed and he's not telling us to stop it. No, he's saying, hey, be still, look at me, I am your refuge, I am your strength, I am in control. God wants communion amidst our chaos. He wants to be our refuge and strength. He wants us to trust him enough to see that he has things under his control. But we have to be still. We have to loosen our grip. And the thing about God is that he's just a better father than I am because as I'm thinking through these instances with my kids, I mean, there's times when it's just overwhelming for me. When my kids' emotions, they're like this, and I just love like a steady, nice, you know, no highs, no lows, 
you, you know. But I think about God. God is just, he just isn't impatient like me. He has endless patience and time to deal with whatever chaos we have. And the thing is, like, no one, no one gets a pass on suffering or chaos. We will all have to cope with the fact that we're not in control. We're not all-knowing. We can't always be so prepared that we avoid suffering. And this, I'm learning, is a grace. Because when we lose control, when we enter into chaos, this becomes a very good place to deepen our trust in a God who is already there. And so this psalm, it teaches us how to practice trust in the middle of chaos by telling us to be still, to kind of release our white-knuckling grip, you know, the ways that we just tightly hold on things to, to maintain control. And I think we can only really know God by practicing this stillness, by releasing control. That word for knowing God, um, it's not the kind of knowing that, you know, we do when we search for something on our phone or when we read a book, learning about something. No, the, the kind of knowing here is, is deeply relational. The kind of knowing, uh, the way that I know my kids, the way I know my wife, because I live with them. I, their presence is familiar. And so when we stop kind of like our anxious, making, tight-fisted grip, uh, we, we create space to notice that, like, God is a presence with us already. We don't have to do anything to get him to come. He's just there. That he's in control, that we live in his world, sustained by his grace and his provision. And like I said earlier, um, when I'm not a janitor or a stay-at-home dad or any number of other things. I'm, I am a fumbling farmer trying to get things to grow, you know, in our farm school, and I'm learning that there is a kind of, like, stillness, a kind of trust that's required in growing plants, and it's interesting because there's so much work in, you know, growing vegetables, for instance, you know, getting the seeds to grow in the greenhouse, preparing the beds, making sure they're all irrigated right, um, and, and so, like, I could work all day on trying to get things to grow, but I can't escape the fact that I am dependent on something outside of myself to get tomatoes to grow. You know, like, I can't, like, at some point I have to, like, walk away and trust that this, like, little seed that I planted, you know, like, it's going to do its thing. You know, I can't be managing it and controlling it the whole, you know, the whole way. And the thing is, I wish I could do it because I, I, you know, I would be that kind of controlling because I, you know, I really like tomatoes. I've, my whole life, I grew up in the Central Valley. I, we grew up just with lots of tomatoes. I want lots of tomatoes, and I don't think I've been that successful yet living in Southern California for, you know, the past 18 years. Uh, but I have to, like, walk away from this process. I have to rest. And I noticed uh, the other day I have this really bad habit of overwatering which is a common mistake. <laughs> uh, I was talking to a guy, an older farmer, and he just laughed at me. He goes, yeah, I know, that's, that's not good. <laughs> and, and what it does, you know, when you overwater something like tomatoes, it just, you know, it stunts their growth. Um, and, and I was thinking, why do, I, why do I feel compelled to overwater? 
I do it because um, it's the thing I can control, right? It, I overwater because I'm in a hurry to grow things. I overwater because I don't trust what I can't see. And so what I'm, what I'm you know, learning by trial and error is that, like, it's better to watch my tomatoes than just water them every day. Being still, releasing total control with my tomatoes, this is not just good advice. It reorients me to how things actually are. Tomatoes grow better when you don't anxiously water them every day. They grow better when the sun has time to dry out their roots. And so I think, like, the invitation of this psalm is to recover this kind of still trust in our life. Why? Because being still, it reorients us to God's world where he is still present and in control no matter the chaos or trouble that we experience. And when we have this still, settled trust in God and his provision, we become better farmers. And I think, you know, I'm going to make the case that we're all farmers in some capacity. (laughs) Uh, To be made in the image of God means that our work, our relationships, our parenting, our businesses, our marriages. These are living things that require our stewardship and our cultivation. And this work that we are all involved in, it is not easy. It is full of trouble and suffering because that's just how it is in a fallen world. But the gospel means that God is still present He is right there as refuge, as a strength, as a river bringing life. And so I think that, you know, you might be wondering, okay, so, but what do we mean? Like, how do do we practice stillness? I can't tell you exactly, um, except, you know, if you have tomatoes, water them less. Um, But there are two, two kind of maybe practices come to mind for me. The first is this. I would just ask a series of questions Uh, to kind of help you locate where you just have that tight-fisted grip on things. Where do you experience chaos? In In what area of your life are you just hanging on and just trying to survive? In what area of your life does deep fear make you hyperactive and controlling? Maybe it's parenting, maybe it's your job, a relationship. Ask the Spirit. This is a good prayer practice. Ask the Spirit to reveal an area if nothing comes to mind right now. And once you have that thing in your mind, I want you to take five minutes. And you could do this maybe during, you know, we have a response time after, but but for sure, maybe do this this week. Take five minutes to practice or rehearse God's presence amidst your chaos. You can memorize this psalm, but if that's, you know, too much, uh, maybe just memorize just the one line, be still and know that I'm God. And as as you say it, imagine God just giving you a hug, you know, in the middle of your chaos. And it sounds completely awkward. It's awkward for me. I'm a thinker. This is not normal for me. But scripture with our imagination is such an important combination 
Using our, our imagination is, is such a needed muscle that can help us tune ourselves to God's presence. And so just imagine God being with you in the middle of chaos and being happy to be with you. And don't try and manage your chaos or turn it down. Don't try and figure it out. Instead, put yourself in a position to just accept God's presence in the middle of it. Sometimes our bodies can be helpful. You can sit with your hands open. Maybe you need to lay down. And then do this, I don't know, do it once a day. Maybe you do it three times a day. And the point isn't how many times you do it or the formula. The point is to train our hearts to pay attention to God who is present amidst chaos. Because, like I said, our muscle memory is not trained that way. Our sinful muscle memory is to assume that God is absent in the midst of chaos. And so we just need retraining. And so these habits help retrain our hearts. Because we want to become people who don't allow the noise and chaos of the world to distract us from God's beautiful and wonderful presence. Second thing, and I'll, this will be how I close. Um, the way that scripture would have us practice stillness is by practicing rest. For the Israelites, it was the Sabbath. Uh, and this was a regular built-in rhythm of stopping work. And God commands his people to rest for the same reason he tells us to be still, so that we can pull our heads up and see that God holds our life and that he provides for us, not our work, not our busy, frantic, I hold my life together. Rest builds our trust. It reminds us that as hard as we work, we are still dependent on God's grace. And I think this, um, I thought I knew this. You know, I turned 39 this year. I have been a Christian as long as I can remember. I have gone to Bible school and seminary. I have been in churches and taught in churches. And, and I thought I knew this. I did not know this at all. I have spent, um, I, you know, like I said, I, I quit pastoring a, a, a year ago, and it has taken an entire year for me to recognize how deeply ingrained hurry <laughs> um, and anxiousness was woven into my soul. I, know, I knew that we needed rest. I knew, I would say, yes, I trust God for my provision, but really, I, I, for whatever reason, my life had just formed in me this deep conviction that, like, I made things go myself, and that I was kind of on my own, and I had to make it work. And then we, I quit <laughs> pastoring, and we just jumped into this unknown thing, and I, you know, I, I was out of my element, I was not doing things that I was good at. I couldn't just scrape it all together. And, and over the course of the year, I've just had to watch God grow things. And I've been, you know, I've had probably more time <laughs> to think than I probably ever have. Um, but I'm, I'm more deeply convinced now than, 
than perhaps ever before, that um, if we do not have intentional times of rest, we will not trust God. Because when we rest, we just give space to watch God do what he does. And we can't just believe it in our minds. We have to structure this in our rhythms. Wendell Berry, um, some of you know this, he's a favorite of mine. Um, and there's this poem that has always stuck with me for probably the better part of, you know, 15 years. And I think it's probably stuck with me because I don't believe it. Um, I, I have, you know, I struggle with this. But he has these lines. He says, he says, harvest will, f-, this is a poem, okay? So if you don't like poems, I'm sorry. But um, I, I really like this. Um, he says, harvest will fill the barn, and for that the hand must ache, the face must sweat. And yet, no leaf or grain is filled by work of ours. The field is tilled and left to grace, that we may reap great work is done while we are asleep. So church, be still and know God. You have the permission and the resources to stop and release control. I love that line. Remember, great work is done while you're sleeping. Maybe take a nap. You, you, I, you know, the, the, a spiritual discipline of taking a nap could be appropriate for some of us. God is our refuge, our strength, our fortress. He will finish what he has started, and we can rest in that. So, Jesus, we, we confess um, our lack of trust. We confess the ways in which we white-knuckle our way through parts of our lives. And we ask um, that you would be tender and gentle with our fears, that you would be tender and gentle with these parts of us that, that just feel like we are on our own. Would you give us uh, what we need this week? And as uh, each of these people, as we all continue this conversation with you about being still and knowing you deeper, uh, would you meet us? And would you, by your spirit, break patterns that have long gone untouched by you, patterns of anxiousness, patterns of loneliness? Father, would you meet us there, and would you remind us that you have us? Amen.